Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another inspiring segment of Spiritual Insights. Today is especially inspiring because we have someone who can make us all feel empowered. The heart of the women's movement was the underlying concept that women as citizens, professionals, athletes, and soldiers were as valuable as men, and that was in the best interest of America. The women's movement today seems to revolve around abortion rights and birth control pills, but its roots and purpose meant so much more to Americans in general, and women in particular, from the right to vote, to the right to work, to the right to privacy. The cultural and legal battles wage on, but many of the real soldiers in those battles never make it into the headlines. Well, our guest today, Norma Yeager, came of age in New York in the mid-20th century, when even educated women were expected to marry, have children, and keep house. Norma attended college and the New York Institute of Finance, and then she got married, had children, and basically deferred to her husband. But when he failed to provide for the family, she not only stepped up, she stepped out and became a stockbroker. And it takes a strong woman to overcome the challenges of a male-dominated world, and Norma Yeager had what it takes. In 1962, Norma emerged as the first woman to walk the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Further, she also demanded and got equal pay. At a time when ambition was viewed as selfishness, she not only hurdled the bar that had been set so high for so long, she then raised it and held everyone around her to a new standard of ethical behavior and excellence. And I might add, she was looking pretty fly while she did it. So with true grit, determination, toughness, and tenderness, she rose to become one of the most successful and respected professionals in the industry, all while raising five children. And her new book, Breaking Down the Walls, 50 Courageous and Successful Years at the Forefront of the Women's Movement, details her amazing journey. And in my opinion, however, She didn't just break the walls of inequality and exclusion down. She obliterated them and ensured that they could never be rebuilt the same way. She is truly a pioneer and an inspiration. And so, it is my honor to introduce you to Norma Yeager. What a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure to be here and to speak to your audience. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are anxious to hear what you have to say and hear about the book, which I highly recommend. For one reason, I read the entire thing in one sitting. It was very, it's a very easy read, and yet it's infused with inspiring lessons that you learned. 
it gets to the point. It is detailed, but it's detailed without overstating it. So I just thought it was a fabulous, fabulous book. Well, you know, it uh, the book really is helpful to those people that want to turn to their grandmothers and to their mothers and ask them about what they had to face uh, in their lifetime that today we don't even think it's possible that that could be the case. For example, women were not permitted to have bank accounts or checking accounts. All of that was handled by husbands. At that time, I never knew that women couldn't open stock brokerage accounts. And why? Because they never had income to prove to the firm that they could afford to have a stockbroker's account. Mm-hmm. Now, you can you can apply for any job you want, so long as you have the education or are capable of doing that job. At, that, at my time, there were only three jobs available. You were a nurse, you were a teacher, or you were a secretary. Right. And if you didn't have the education or the background to do that, you couldn't apply for those jobs. Mm-mm-mm. You know, think about today. We have women in the armed forces and the combat roles. They're pilots. They're CEOs of major corporations. They're firefighters and dentists and uh, women policemen. I mean, think about all those things that happen today were not available in my time to women. Wow. So breaking down the walls was difficult, believe me. And it, it obviously, I mean, the book is, I, I got choked up in several spots because I kind of could relate. And But before we get into that, with your blessing, Norma, I would like to dedicate this segment. With all that you had to deal with in fighting this fight, you also endured your personal tragedies with the loss of your sister, Nicole, and your son, Stephen. So with your blessing, I'd like to dedicate this segment to their memory. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, that what terrible losses to me. But one must keep going on because your life is important, and you have to keep fighting for that. And I appreciate your dedication. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Well, let's set the scene for everybody. Like you said, they couldn't own bank accounts, credit cards, couldn't get a loan, couldn't purchase a home. And today we're so used to women CEOs and and, and women in different positions in medical fields and, like you said, the military. But But it doesn't quite paint the picture. It was to the point, as you state in the book, even in a scenario where you're sitting around playing cards, where men could just stand up and say, I have to use the restroom, and step away, where women would say, let me check on something in the kitchen, and then they'd sneak away to use the restroom because it was improper to, to make such a statement. Everyone had to be very prim and proper without opinions or dreams or goals, whether to help some of us remember or to demonstrate how much things have changed to the young women of today. Describe how that felt. Like, Did you feel like you could even be comfortable in your own skin? Well, it was, you know, it was the time. We accept things around us that, um, you know, are just not being done. If you recall, you know, women wore long skirts to cover their ankles, and little by little the skirts got shorter, and we were able to have a comfortable length that uh, covered our knees as well as our ankles. Uh, and so what, what happens is, as time goes on, 
you try to um, fit in, and I think that's the problem. We try to fit in. We don't want to step out and be different. And I think what happened in my time is that uh, I came along uh, in a family that was um, originally Middle Eastern. They had the culture that women were second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. And um, and as you know, women even today in the Middle East are all covered up. But uh, here in the United States, women were uh, feeling a lot more able to wear comfortable clothes. So you accept those things, and I did. My great-grandmother went to, um, to services at her church, and uh, uh, we sat where we were supposed to sit amongst I am uh, Jewish, and we separate men and women. That started mm-hmm. off right from the very beginning to be separate mm-hmm. and different. And uh, I objected to that. I said that to her. I said, Grandma, why is that happening? She says, you accept what is the, the way. Just the way they tell you to do it, you do it. I said, oh, I can't do that. I don't think Mm -mm. that's right. So even as a little girl, it impressed upon me that you just don't do something because it's being done. You have to do it because you feel it is right. And that was my motto throughout. And you, you were pretty headstrong, but you had to be, and I think that's one of the components that aided you the best. You even butted heads with your dad. Intentional. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My dad came off the boat also and he <laughs> said to me, you go to college. What do you mean go to college? Girls don't go to college. This college is for men. Men don't want smart girls. You don't make a good marriage if you are too smart. That was his thinking. And this is the Middle Eastern thinking. It's prevalent today there, too. That's why women are standing up and trying to fight against that. Women are not supposed to be too smart. I mean, that was the psyche at the time. And I became, I objected so much that I rolled to the City College of New York, which at that time was free to us. Otherwise, he would not pay for education for, for girls. They were, that was reserved for my brothers who were much younger, but they were going to go to college, not me. But I objected to it. I fought against it, and I went, whether he said so or not. And so... Uh, we used to fight constantly in what I thought was correct and what he thought was correct. And I stood my ground, and you have to stand your ground. Uh, because he was my father and I loved him very much, I tried to respect him, but where I felt it was right to object, I did. And, uh, and I went off one summer. Uh, I was already 19 or 20 years old, and I went off to the Wisconsin University, which from New York, the three quarters around the world, for, for, as far as he was concerned. Right. And I said, I'm going. And he said, no, you're not. No girl ever leaves the house because it's not nice for women to be out of the house. They stay with the families until they're married. Mm. Well, I went anyway. <laughs> with with your he, good friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> with my girlfriend. And um, uh, I earned some money, uh, you know, at, at simple jobs in order to to go. And I did. I picked up and I went, and he didn't talk to me other than, you know, pass the salt and sugar, but he didn't speak to me for over a year. I came back from Wisconsin. He thought I was, uh, you know, one of those women. (laughs) A fallen um, woman or something? A fallen woman, of course. You leave the house. I mean, why would you leave the house of your parents where you uh, are respected and it's respectable and so on and so forth? 
And I just went. I said, you know, I'm going. I've got to, I've got to do this, and I've got to break away to get out of the house. It was right. too much for me. And but, so that was what started the whole movement for me, is, you know, objecting to the my, not only men, but my father. I mean, you know, can't go that, higher than that. You can't. And no, he really no. didn't speak to you at all, except eventually to ask you to, or not to ask you, to tell you to pass the salt. But that didn't stop there. It was most of the family. You only found a small handful of relatives that supported you. And after you got your education, you then got married. You started a family. But then it didn't turn out like you would expect. That road led to poverty and loneliness instead of happiness. And do you look back at that time and wonder how you made it out? Or do you think it was that strength that once you hit that breaking point, and you said, I have to do this, because once you said, I'm going to do this, you also had additional objections from other family members. Tell us what that was like. Well, you know, I also made the very big mistake of marrying a man with the Middle Eastern background. His family also was Middle Eastern. And um, and I guess it carried over to him as well, and he objected to almost everything I did because I, you know, put my step foot forward. I've had a college education. He had none. I mean, he didn't have college. He had high school. And I should have realized that uh, this was not for me. But once you're in a marriage, it's very difficult to get out of it. And by that time, I started having children, and I loved my children very much, and uh, it took me a long time to try to get out of this marriage. But, you know, let's go back further than that because my marriage was not doing well. My husband was not earning enough money to support the family. Mm -hmm. He decided to take the family up to the Catskill Mountains in New York, which I don't know how many people know about that, but uh, uh, it was lovely up there during the summer. In the winter, it was desolate and cold and under snow. And um, my husband was working for a builder who went bankrupt, didn't get paid. We didn't. He wasn't getting paid. We had very little money. I had three children by that time, and um, and couldn't manage to even feed them. So he tried to come back to New York, which we did, so he could get uh, you know some jobs in New York. But it was not enough to carry the family, and so I decided I was going to go out and get a job. Well, he was furious. He felt mm-hmm. I castrated him. Uh, he felt everybody would talk about it because what kind of a man lets his wife work? At that time, women didn't work. There was no such mm-hmm. thing, right. and especially in my culture. And so I said, well, it's either that or my children starve, and I'm not letting my children starve anybody. And so I grabbed an opportunity that was open to me. After all, I did go to college. I had banking and finance in several of my courses. I was mm-hmm. an educated lady. And I was going to take advantage of that. And when I heard of an opportunity that one of the major brokerage firms was hiring for a training program to become a stockbroker, I applied. And that is one of the reasons I applied is I had some help and because I was scared to death. And I needed somebody to be in my corner and support me. And so I found a wonderful, wonderful um, psychologist, Dr. Grossman. Mm-hmm. And when I walked into his office, he said, look, 
I'm not going to sit here and give you long-term psychoanalysis. He said, you need help, and you need help right now. And you can't sit and wait for a father or a mother or a husband or anybody to help you. you got to stand up for yourself and get out there and get that job. Because uh. you must do for yourself. Only you can help yourself. I never forgot that. And anything I ever did after that, I realized that you've got to help yourself. Nobody uh. is going to help you. I was so glad as I read the story that he was there to kind of show you to yourself and help you recognize the strength that you already had. And I want the listeners to hear just a little bit because it struck me so profoundly. Do you mind if I read a couple sentences from that section? Please do. Okay, so you're in your office and, and you're kind of going around and around with this, with this problem and nothing's changing because you can't change the man you married and you can't change the way society thinks of women who enter the workplace despite the needs of the family. And it says, Doc Grossman's approach to mental health was honesty, sometimes painful honesty. Let's look at your problems, he said. What's holding you back? What's handcuffing you to your current life? Of course, we realized that part of the problem was how I'd been raised. For instance, my father's idea of a compliment was, you're a good driver, you drive just like a man. Women were kept down systematically and thoroughly. But the most important question Doc asked was, what are you doing to yourself that's destructive? No matter how you're raised, there are choices that you and only you make that continue your problems. If you make different choices, you start to change. Doc urged me to pull myself out of the past and fight for a new life. And at the end, it says, and it took strength to accept that I had no excuses to fall back on. I was responsible for pursuing my own happiness. This is what I'm talking about. I'm getting the chills right now that even though there's this story about this immense battle, the spiritual fortitude that it took for you to, to maintain that strength, even though when you applied for training, you had to keep it a secret. You had to enlist the help of a few people. And... Do you, feel, did you, do you feel you made a gradual shift in this area, or was there a pivotal moment where you said, he's right, I'm just going to go do it? No, it was gradual. It, it, it took several visits to his office for him to repeat that over and over and over again for me to buy it. I mean, you know, you just don't change the color of your hair. You have to sit and, <laughs> and have it dyed and so on. And I needed somebody in my corner. And every time I would get to his office, I would cry and say, you know, I'm having this conflict. I want to do it, but I'm afraid to do it. And he said to me, fear is your worst enemy. You cannot be afraid to step out. You could always go back to a bad situation, but you could step out and try to make it better. And I agreed after a while that I had to do something because my family was suffering. They were the most important thing to me, my children. They were suffering. And they were not getting what they were entitled to. No. Go ahead. But you needed to help them. And they say that necessity is the mother of invention, but in your case... Necessity was the mother of motivation for you, and you pulled yourself up and applied for training, and then were accepted. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What would you? What did you want to say? Well, you said it. <laughs> said oh, yes, exactly I'm sorry, I, I stole it out say. of your mail. No, I, I think you did a good job with it. Thank you. Oh, oh, you're welcome. But what would you like to add to that? Is there something you'd like to amplify in that statement? 
Well, what I'd like to amplify is the fact that um, it is the mother of invention, but you have to look at yourself and see what qualities you have to offer. You can't just walk out there and say, you know, I'm going to get a, a job as a trading person. I mean, I had some background in, in education. I had uh, some training in banking and finance. So I, I obviously was thought of that job as being something I could do with, with proper training. And so you have to also, you know, sit and uh, and evaluate what you have to offer as well. And if you feel you don't have enough, go out and get it. Get the education for it. You know, the, today there are so many opportunities to go to school, and uh, there is even help financially from the government in many cases to help people get that education for a new job. So if your job or your particular situation is not working, change it. Find what you'd like to do, because you're going to do it for the rest of your life. So find what you'd like to do and learn about it and get the education to do it so that you can get a job doing something you love instead of dreading every day that you're going to work. I hate this yeah. job, I hate this job, I hate this job. And, and so. you'll hate yourself right out of that job because people will feel your attitude and reality happens when you consistently think that way. And for a lot of people today, there are no excuses anymore, literally, like I just read. There are no excuses. There is financial aid. It's just a matter of digging in your heels and seeking out the opportunities that are right for you. You can do it. You can do it and you can change. You really can. Yeah. You can make yourself different. And, you know, one of the things that I think most successful women had to have, they had to have the education. I can't get away from that. That's so important to, to me. Right. Uh, to get yourself educated, in spite of my my father, <laughs> get yourself educated. You make a better marriage, not not a poorer marriage. Get a uh, have the ambition, you know. Get yourself motivated. Say I want to do this, and the, the determination to do it. Gain some self confidence. I think most people put themselves down. Self confidence, yeah, it's so important. And, and have the desire and be goal-oriented. Say, this is what I want to do. How do I get there? And try to work to get there. So you have to have some independence, you know, from your people that are holding you down, whether it be like with me, my parents, or my relatives, and get out there and say, I want to do this, and I'm independent enough to be able to. So those are the things I kind of can tell your audience. Okay. Well, I, I want to tell them, too, just in reading the book, I really highly recommend this book. I hope that you get it, normayeager.com, read all about it. But, it, I mean, you not only had to fight with your father or your parents, you also had to fight your husband and then other relatives and then walking through the door applying for a training and they're looking at you like, but you're a woman. And you got accepted to the training. You worked very hard. You found someone to watch your children. And then... But you had to go through that training for six months, so you were gone every day. And then you came home. What broke my heart was you come home, and the baby is now four years old, your daughter. And she says to you, as you step through the door after a long day, Daddy said you go to work because you don't love us. And I just, you know, I could relate to that because I grew up in the 70s. So I was at the tail end of that and got to witness some of it, but also got to witness some of the major changes. 
Well, he was trying to sabotage my going to work. He didn't want me to work. I told you, he felt castrated. He felt that everybody was talking about him, that he had to have a wife that was working. And so he tried in every which way to sabotage my going into this training program. He was not helpful at home. He did um, go through the children to try to force me to to stay home. And it was a, a very difficult time. But I was determined to get this training. I was determined not in thoughts of a career, but as a job to earn money yes. so that my children could have a better life. It's amazing. And then one of the highlights is that you go to deal with the supervisor who did the hiring, and he said, we have a problem. And your attitude is basically, what's the problem? Well, we have a predicament. We would consider hiring you, but we've never hired a woman before, and we have no idea what to pay you. And you just basically held the guy over a barrel. Well, I said to him, what the difference does it make? I'm attending class with the same group of trainees. They happen to be all men, yes. Uh, They happen to have expenses, but so do I, the same expenses. I have to take care of my family. And I said, I have one additional expense that they don't have. I have to hire a wife. I mean, Mm -hmm. just think about that. I have to come home and do all the jobs that the wife has to do as well. I said, so I have two jobs, and I have to hire a wife to take care of my children during the day. Well, he looked at me and said, never, never thought of that. Would you believe that? He never thought that I would have to have somebody take care of my family. Yeah, what needs could you possibly have? Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and men get up, go to work, and they they come home to a wife. I had to yes. come home to me being the wife. So it was, uh, you know, and finally he said, you know, you're absolutely right. I never thought of that. And I expect you to attend class and do exactly what the men are doing. It's the same job. It's the same routine. And I am very happy to give you the same salary. So I started with the same salary that all the men were getting. That was my first win. (laughs) Yes, it was the first of many. But even before you completed training, what you're talking about in the book is cold calling, and what they recommend you do is basically start out like with many ventures that some of us start. You go to your friends and your family and your associates and try to get their business and kind of spread from your inner circle outward. And you said, I'm not doing that basically because most people didn't know you were in training. But you said, why not go straight to the top? So you took a walk down Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue, and found yourself in front of a jewelry store whose owner, it happened to be, was the original owner of the Hope Diamond who uh, donated it to the Smithsonian. And you just walked right in. Maybe it didn't feel like it, but I'm kind of with you in the story. Like, "I'm, I'm doing this. You walk right in, and it turns out the person in charge of the investments was another woman. And by the time you graduated from training, you had landed one of the largest accounts they had seen. Absolutely. Well, she was thrilled that they started to open the doors for women. You know, she said, you know, we have brains. All we need to do is allow us to use it. (laughs) And so she gave me the opportunity to service that account, and it was my thrill when I walked into that training class and announced that I was having this account they could not believe it. And that, of course, you know, raised raised me up in front of the eyes of the other trainees. And um, uh, little by little, they started to respect me as being equal. And that was mm. a great, great day. 
And I noticed all throughout the story, not once did you ever take anything for granted. You were always driven, but you were humble and you were grateful, especially to yourself for having the fortitude to really go for it. Well, you know, I also took advice. I had a uh, uh, gentleman that owned a uh, very successful sports warehouse, and when he heard I was in the training program, he said to me, you know, you've got to look. You're handling a lot of money for people. You know, stocks are not cheap. People that buy stocks have a lot of money, and you have to play the part. So I always said to him, well, what do you mean by that? He says, you've got to look like you're worth a million dollars. You're going to be mm-hmm. handling a million dollars. You've got to look like you're successful. Right. He says, I want you to go out, and I know you don't have the money you work for that, but you've got to borrow some money if you can and get yourself some very, very expensive walking suits. At that time, they had fur trim suits in New York. We didn't have the fur problems at that time. Right. And, um, and, and, right. and the hats to match and gloves and, and shoes. And you're going to walk in the office looking like a million dollars. So anybody wanting to do business with you would think you're very, very successful. They don't have to know you're a beginner. You have a, a firm, a very successful, reputable firm behind you. Yeah. So you're going to take the firm's advice and, and sell, you know, what they feel is appropriate, and you need to be able to bring in a good client that's worth quite a bit of money. So you have to look mm-hmm. the part. So he yeah. said, I want you to do all of this, get the, the suits, and one extra thing, he said, get yourself a very, very beautiful brooch. I would give it to you, not real, but have it look real. Get a brooch. Wear a hat all the time in the office, no matter what, he says. The only women that wear hats all day were women that were in the fashion magazine business. They were editors to the fashion magazines, he said. And you're not running a magazine. You are looking for a successful person. You have to look like a successful person doing the business you're in. He said, don't take that hat off. You are not a secretary in the office, and you must distinguish yourself apart from that person. So when I went to my office, which was assigned to me, was on the street level just opposite the Waldorf Astoria. What could be more impressive than Park Avenue and 50th Street at my time with windows, you know, from floor to ceiling that everybody could look into seeing, you know, how we're working. And the, and the at that time, they had all the stocks on the board, and people would come in and see their stocks and, and so on. And when they saw me sitting there with a hat, they'd say, who's that? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I who's that out, lady? Who's sure that is. lady? Well, in, I became known room? as the right? Yeah. I became known as a hat and brooch lady. Right. So essentially what you did, after handling that senior manager and basically handing him his derriere in a hat, you went out, bought one, together with all the suits, the shoes. You had to get a lot of stuff, and you had limited resources. And I think the story about how you even pulled that off is fascinating. And I love that that was your second cousin who had pushed you to do it. I'm just glad you listened because it was the perfect thing. And to well, it made the sense. Persona. It made mm-hmm. sense, of course. Absolutely. It was the right thing to do. Yes, and, and a gentleman walked in and watched you for a while, sat down, and said, 
I wanted to, he wanted to give you an opportunity because most of the professionals in his life were women, and he believes in giving people the chance, and he became a very good client of yours. Absolutely. He said women, when they reach the point of getting the top jobs, they know what they're doing because they had to fight harder for it. <laughs> so there you uh, he, he respected the uh, – all his uh, professionals were women. He said they had to get where they're going in a right. much more difficult way. And so – he became an excellent, excellent client of mine. I had a, I had a wonderful book of clients that uh, uh, were very successful men, mostly men, because women at that time did not have the jobs that they could invest in the stock market. They had all to do to help the, you know, their daily needs. Right. And so eventually, eventually, women started getting into the colleges and they were accepted into uh, various organizations and uh, right. businesses. And they started earning money. So then, you know, I started doing business with women. But only then did they allow, the stockbrokerage firms allow women to open accounts. They didn't even want us to open a stockbrokerage account. Right. I worked for the firm, and they wouldn't open a stockbrokerage account for me. <laughs> right. I went to my manager, and I said, how can I have women clients if you don't allow us to open the accounts? Well, that's our custom. I said, well, you have to change it if you're hiring women stockbrokers. You've got to be able to open stockbroker accounts for women. Right. And so that was another wall I had to break Another down. battle. And then <laughs> another the most, battle. probably the most prominent battle was this, that as part of your training, they needed to show you all the different departments. So you got to work with the analysts. You got to work with the, the speculators, I guess they're called. You got to see all the different parts of the machine, but the most important, one of the most important parts of the machine is the floor at the New York Stock Exchange. And then that became a huge issue when your trainer came to you and said that women weren't allowed on the floor. He said it's been our custom never to allow women on the floor. He says, uh, aside from that, he says we don't have a ladies' room. Mm-hmm. Well, I was so taken back with it. I said, that's not a problem. I think I could handle that. I said, that should not be a reason for not allowing women on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I really know why he, they probably had that policy. Um, the men were very, very, very outspoken with their language, and they didn't want to have to run around apologizing all the time. I really I think they didn't. They didn't. They didn't trust us. And um, but more importantly, they really it was just not their custom to do so. They yes. said it's not you know part of our uh, uh, what do you call it the, the culture uh, culture of the exchange to have women working there. They had you know clerks, but they were on the uh, on the fringes. The clerks took orders and, and processed them, but they were on the fringes. But nobody was permitted at that time if you I don't know if you had pictures of the stock market where everybody's running around throwing papers all over the place. We, we all know but what it, it looks it, like. Yeah. You know what it looks like. So you know it mm-hmm. was quite a uh, quite a place and um and of course I understood that that when I walked in there they they felt that I would be disturbing the men. And to a mm-hmm. point I did. I did, because they suddenly had to stop and they looked. They knew it wasn't customary. They were not, you know, didn't see women there. And here I am in my hat and coat and, and uh, pretty shoes and outfit looking like a million dollars. It upset the, their whole training, their, their whole thought of, uh, you know, how to work. Anyway, I did manage the ladies' room. 
took three months to get permission from the Board of Governors to allow me into the stock exchange floor. Uh, and then they wanted me to come in before the market opened and leave after the market closed so the men wouldn't be too disturbed having a woman on the floor. And uh, and I was a fairly attractive woman at that time. <laughs> very yeah, attractive. Jibu, Jibu. And so that yeah, was disturbing. Hmm? You were good looking. You are. Right. And that, that right. presented some additional problems because, like I said, you're pretty to the point in the book, but in my mind, I know the way women work. So even though you had to face that with the men and – breaking down those structures that they were so accustomed to, even after you graduated from training and you had your position and you had your salary, a lot of the women didn't want to work with you. They would prefer to work for a man. It occurred to you that it's not a very good idea to call a client at home when his wife answers the phone. There were things you had to work around. And even after, okay, you started your new life, you dug in and you initiated the divorce from your husband, and at one point, that was you the say, best thing. absolutely, I'm, I was behind you all the way. I couldn't wait to hear that. But on page 90, something that resonates with the introduction to the show, you say, but I didn't have a choice until I changed my mind and my life and gave myself the choice. So you made the choice, you initiate the divorce, but even after you remarried, you were pushed to be a housewife. People were saying, but, but your, your new husband can take care of you. Why do you have to work? Did you ever gain the full respect of your relatives, or did they simply just get used to it? No, eventually they realized that I was very successful in my career, and that it was a career and it wasn't a job anymore, that it meant a great deal to me, and for my self-confidence and for my feelings of well-being, and um, and I did so well that they had to respect the fact that I, uh, you know, was a very successful woman. And uh, and little by little they started changing, not only the regard to me, but for women in general. They started to respect the fact that women can go out to work without feeling that they're putting down their husbands, that it yeah. was an equal career career opportunity. Right. It took time. It took a long time. But, uh, you know, and the divorce was very difficult because, again, there was no divorces in my culture. I right. Was one of the, I was the first in the oh. uh, family or actually in a whole center of, of uh, you know, uh, family life with cousins and relatives and so on that divorce was unheard of. And here I did another step. I broke through it and got divorced. There you uh, go. Took me twenty took me 20 years to get the gumption to get a divorce. Oh should have gotten it the first day. You, you, so, yeah. Yeah, don't absolutely. wait so long. Yes, yeah, if, if you're in a bad situation, get out. But for you, not only did you have to deal with the, you know, the attitude of the men on the floor of the stock exchange, now you had the family, and it seemed like everybody around you had to find a way to adapt you, which I thought was kind of comical, as hard as it must have felt being you going through that. Well, it was difficult because, you know, as I said before, I loved my parents very much, and going against them and their, you know, their thoughts of what was right and wrong was difficult. That's why it took me so long to get the divorce. They thought divorce was unheard of. 
and how could I go and do this to my family and to my children and, and to uh, to my husband, you know, to, to divorce him and uh, make him look terrible in the eyes of his yeah. family. So, you know, it was not an easy decision. But again, Dr. Grossman was there with me, helping me. He had my mm-hmm. back. He said, you've got to get this divorce because it's killing both you, your family, and your husband. It is. The divorce would help him break away and do something for himself. And, okay. Uh, so, so he was thinking of him as well. You had Dr. Grossman in your corner, you know. Absolutely. You have to sometimes need somebody there to support your decisions. You do. To help you well, say it's the right thing to do. Well, you did it, and you came out, you know, in a blaze of glory, so to speak. But what's interesting is uh, during the time that most of this happened, you got your license in 1962. If we fast forward to 1968, you had all these wonderful things going on, but there's also some tragic things. You had the Twin Towers. The architect had been selected. They were making plans to go up. Several leaders fell. We had Dr. Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy. There were changes in music and culture. I just, you know, it's so much history. How does it feel to have witnessed these landmark moments in history? Well, in looking back, I thought how exciting that must have been for me to be involved in all of that. Uh, but it's part of your living. I mean, things around you. We look around today, all the things that are occurring. This is part of living. You know, accept life, accept the new things that are happening to you. I had a discussion with the person that came up and did the cover of my book, you know, the Breaking Down the Walls. The cover of the book shows the background of the uh, the skyline of New York City. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we had a decision on was the Twin Towers. I wanted the towers in the in the cover, and they said, well, people will look at it and feel badly about it. I said, no, that was the time. They were up. I want them there because I saw them go up. I worked around them. They were part of my life. I didn't want to destroy that. That belongs there. And so we did go ahead, and if you look at the cover, you're going to see the Twin Towers. I fought for that because I wanted people to know that was my time. I was very proud of those towers, and I did not want to, to kill them altogether. And it was one of the first... what happened to them. Yeah, was, it was the first thing I noticed when I looked at the cover. I said, oh, my God, it's Twin Towers. But as I dug into the story, you realize we're not talking about 2001. We're talking about 1962, 1968, 1972. Exactly. You went through decades of growth and adaptation in this concrete jungle, trying to find your way in a male-dominated world as a woman, as a petite woman, because like me, you're only five feet tall. I'm, you know, that's, that's a challenge in and of itself. But like you say in the book, you know, when you're five feet tall, everybody's intimidating. But you know what? You get used to it until the point where nobody's intimidating. And that's just the way it is. But I agree. I totally think the tower should be on here because it represents the time that you're describing that you overcame all of these challenges. So bravo on winning that battle as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. By the way, I'd like to remind your audience that uh, in order to get onto my website, you must spell my last name correctly because it's generally misspelled. And it's Y-A-E-G-E-R, Norma Yeager, Y-A-E-G-E-R.com. 
I just felt that was important to say because some people just can't get on because they spell it incorrectly. So I think that's thank you for the few minutes. Oh, e- excellent point. No problem. Tell you what, why don't we take a short two-minute break, and when we come back, I have some very practical questions to ask you about the industry, if that's okay. Wonderful. All right. We'll be right back right after these messages. Don't go away. The odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records? One and 800,000. The eyes of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks, it's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Explore new areas of interest, expand your knowledge, and gain clarity about your life's purpose at the Ocala Intercenter. Affectionately known as OIC, the Ocala Intercenter, just two blocks south of Town Square, offers workshops, classes, healing meditations, and special events for the Ocala, Gainesville, and Central Florida spiritual community. Check out our calendar of events at OcalaInnerCenter.com. And if you're looking for a place for your next workshop or seminar, go to OcalaInnerCenter.com and give Gene a call. Hello, everyone. We are back, and we are here with Norma Yeager, author of the book, Breaking Down the Walls, 50 Courageous and Successful Years at the Forefront of the Women's Movement. Now, I do have some practical questions about the industry to ask Norma, but I want to highlight the most important thing of this journey. And, Norma, that is that you went on to build two successful companies, and you also started a mutual fund when there were none. Tell us whatever you'd like to share about those achievements and what it took to get there. Well, you know, starting the mutual fund, my sister and I, my sister became a stockbroker after a while because she liked what I was doing and decided to become a stockbroker. And at that time, there were other firms starting training programs. And um, we broke away, raised the money, um, and was able to to do a filing with the, uh, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, the SEC, really. Mm-hmm. And it took a year and a quarter to get through, which should have taken them no more than two or three months. The big problem was not only were my family in the, in the stage of not trusting women, the SEC didn't think two women could do it or could have the, the uh, do a, a successful mutual fund. And that was a terrible blow to us because they would not approve it. When they finally did, they came out and approved it on December 26th. Now, who lets a company go public on December 26th after Christmas? Nobody. It was unheard of. No. They were messing with us. So that proved to us that they really didn't want the women. But as it turned out, it took so long that we went through most of our money, and we did have to close down the fund, and that was a failure. Although it could have been a huge success, getting it going and doing it was a huge success, 
But as far as the mutual fund was concerned, it was too late. By that yeah. time, other funds started to come out with the same, uh, you know, same type of um, uh, investments, and uh, it was our sad thing to have to shut down the mutual fund. So that was a failure, even though I success it, we successfully did it. It was a failure. So we went forward and started a company. And at that point, I felt, you know, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep trying until I'm right. successful, which is what I did. I started a stock brokerage firm, a woman, first woman stock brokerage firm. And, again, I had some problems getting approved and so on and so forth, but they did approve us. And I did have hired brokers, and I had my own firm, and all of that was done here in California because after my divorce and after working about, oh, I'd say 10 years in New York, I met a very, very nice gentleman who became a client who became my second husband. Uh And uh, he was so proud of me, and when we decided to get married, I said to him, you know, Larry, I don't intend to be a homemaker. Is that a problem with you? Oh, no, he said. I'm so proud of you. I love what you do. It gives us things to talk about. It gives us something in common. I love the stock market. He said, go to it. I don't feel I need a homemaker. If I wanted to have a homemaker, I would marry a different type of woman. And Mm. so he was proud of me, and he gave me my self-confidence to go forward. And even though I failed in the um, mutual fund, he didn't uh, think twice about my going into my own, starting my own stock brokerage firm. He says, I believe in you. You feel you can do it? Go to it. And so he gave me the confidence to do that. And I ended up with two brokerage firms. And the reason for that, and I think it's a very important reason, is that there was a um, a law that came out giving minorities and women the opportunity to bid on government contracts, things that pertain to the governments. Mm-hmm. And I decided that here I was, a full-fledged woman-owned firm. I owned the whole firm. And um, I could go and sign up and become a woman-owned I did not a minority because I was not a minority, but a woman-owned firm. And since they uh, allow that now for us to go in and, uh, and try to get some business from government uh, uh, companies, or why should companies pension plans and things, which is what I did, I went ahead and started the second firm and registered as a woman-owned firm. And then the first obstacle that came up is that I had to have my husband sign off his community property rights to that company. I was speechless. Do you realize what that is? In California, everyone's entitled to their community property rights, which 50 is 50-50. Which means he owned 50% of the company, whether his name was on it or not. He was entitled to it. He signed off on it, signed the paper, which gave me the entire firm to be all mine. Mm. I was so proud of him that he gave me that, that he was that comfortable with doing that, that that made my company successful to start with. I mean, can you imagine his signing off his community property? He rights? didn't, he didn't even hesitate. Nope. Not he one didn't even minute. hesitate. He believes in you so much, this sweet man, and I'm so thrilled that you 
had that such a strong element of love and support in your life. So you went on, you built the companies. You'll have and to read the book I, to find out what happens, ladies and gentlemen, because there was some trouble there as well, but she overcame it and she kicked butt in several different areas. And go ahead, Norma. What did you want to say? I was just going to say that uh, that was an enormous opportunity for uh, women and minorities. I was able to open my first account, which was the CalPERS, the largest pension plan in the entire country, their California Public Employees Retirement System became one of my first government clients and for my new firm. And I proceeded to go to every state and approach their various pension plans, and I built a very, very successful woman-owned brokerage firm, which I finally sold to a minority woman, Mm-hmm. who I passed the torch to, who mm-hmm. did a fabulous, who was doing a fabulous job with the firm, and I retired. But I have to tell you that I had a very, very exciting life, good and bad, lots of problems. Um, easier when I look back than when going through them, I will tell you that. But right. I have one word of advice for your, for your listeners, mm-hmm. and that never... Always, always, as a businesswoman, involve your own family, your children, and your husband around the dining room table, and they have to become part of your life. You are not out there alone. They are paying a price as well by your not being involved with them during school hours and so on. Mm -hmm. But you have to make them feel part, part of that life. I think that's one of the problems that a lot of people ask me. How did you manage a career and a family? I said, with a lot of difficulty, but you can only accomplish that when your family becomes part of your career as well. And you have to be involved with them and know about their after-school activities and their problems and so on. So that dining room table, to me, is the most important focal point in in a family's life because everybody shares what's on their minds, what's on their hearts, what Mm -hmm. their plans are, what their hopes are, and so on. And therefore, uh, that's a piece of advice for free. (laughs) Not Dr. Grossman, but I am telling you that that makes the entire difference in whether your family will accept your career and your being away from the home. So you're saying that's... What? You're saying that's crucial f- for achieving a balance between family and careers to keep that communication going and have everybody involved in everything. Absolutely crucial. Otherwise, okay. you can't be successful. You're going to have too many things on your mind besides your job and everything else. And, um, you know, with well, that, I just want to make sure that your audience realizes that they have to step forward and do what they really feel is right. Absolutely. And what what is your advice for every successful businesswoman? What sort of traits are must-haves to be successful? Well, as I said before, the uh, the education, the determination, um, that's important. And also you have to have that desire to be successful. You have to want to be successful. You have mm-hmm. to have a goal. And that goal is to be successful in whatever you're doing. 
And so you constantly have to make decisions towards that success. And then there are people that have to realize that they have to have their home life, you know, also successful. They have to have financial planning for the family. They have to know that there's uh, vacations coming, there's retirement money, there's school, college school money. Things have to be organized at home. So you have Mm. to create an organization like a business at home as well. At home. Mm -hmm. I agree. Would you say, you state on page 83 of the book that the biggest secret to your career success is that you never caved, especially if you felt you were right. Would you say that perseverance then is truly the secret of the real woman's movement and even today the secret of the success that women are enjoying since now we have so many opportunities that did not even exist in 1961? Absolutely. You have to persevere because, you know, if you cave, there was no point in starting. You have to believe enough in it to go for it. You know, one of the big problems that a lot of people have, even in going to college, is if it starts to get difficult, they quit. Instead of saying, you know, there's a goal to my going to college, there's an end, there's something I want to do that college will allow me to do. And so if you don't persevere even to finish that, what are you going to do in a job or in a career? So you have to always start with something with the goal being to finish. I have found a lot of people start and don't finish what they start. And so if you don't have the perseverance to start it, don't start it, you know. Uh, don't, if you don't have the perseverance to finish it, don't start it. Because one of the things that made me so successful is I fought like heck to get that thing successful, whatever it was, whether it was the mutual fund, which took me a year and a half or so, or the business I started, one I started, one did, you know, didn't work out, I started a second one. The final one was so successful that it not only made me proud, but it made me able to sell an asset so that I could retire. Mm. So, you know, it, it was perseverance. My goal was to be successful. And I fought and fought and fought until I was successful. Right. I just want to point out to the audience, having read the book and understanding the total picture of what you were trying to achieve, it wasn't that you only wanted to be successful and prove this like an army of one and say, I have a goal and I'm going to reach it, which you certainly did. But what I, what I want to point out is that all along the way, you nurtured and supported everyone around you, male or female, but you opened doors that allowed other women to follow in your footsteps and you nurtured them and groomed them in some cases along the way. You gave a job to someone who wasn't really a very good prospect, but because of her heart, you went and gave her a chance and you were totally happy with the job that she did. And that's special. That means... It's not all about you. Yes, you wanted success for yourself, but you were willing to take off. Anybody who wanted to come with you, come with me. And you opened your heart to so many. Oh, I trained an awful lot of people uh, during my career. I trained them for doing their jobs better or doing a new job. Uh, training was something I enjoyed doing, and uh, I did have followings, and uh, those people that uh, secretary you're talking about, when I came, started my own firm, I was really a very small firm, couldn't afford a real secretary, as they say, 
But mm-hmm. this young woman came to me and said, you know, I don't have the job experience. I've been raising my family, but I do need this job, and I will do everything to try to be successful at it. Well, her attitude was so great that I had to give her a chance. Yes. And she turned out to be wonderful. She's a dear friend to me till this very day. Oh. I have to tell you, her success uh, at the job was something you can't pay for because she really wanted this job and she said she's going to prove to me she can do it and I gave her the opportunity and that's true out there in in life that uh, if you let somebody know that you are going to give everything you can to the job or to the particular thing you're doing that you have your heart in it they will probably show you how successful they can be and so I did a lot of training in, uh, you know, people that held jobs for me. I had a gentleman that uh, was answering my telephone, and I needed somebody to go out and uh, bid on certain things that I needed for the office. So I gave him the opportunity to call various companies. And he came back on the first one. He said, well, this one is um, has a good price. I said, well, how, much, how are some of the other prices? And he said, well, I I don't know. I didn't call that many. I said, well, come back to me when you have a a broad price range so I can make a determination who I want to use. Well, he got so good at it that he was able, after I I, I sold my business and he was gone, he was able to get a job as a purchasing agent because (laughs) he learned learned to do it. A purchasing agent. (laughs) So... You know, it's uh, the training. You have to tell people what they have to do and let them do their job. Yeah, and and if you have an opportunity to learn, do it. You never know where that will lead or how those skills will lend to to your ultimate goal. For instance, everything I've done for the past 25 years fits into what I'm doing right now. Technical, creative, analytical, databases. I I basically, it's not that I don't need help. I'm, you know, pretty overwhelmed. But I can handle each task because this is what I've been doing and all the skills I've picked up over the past 25, 30 years. Right. And if somebody, you need somebody and you have to teach them, you know, part of the task that you're doing, you're a good teacher at it, and that will relieve you of some of that problem yourself. So training people, you have to know the job yourself before you can train anybody. Absolutely. So and it's, you're, it's, you're rewarded with somebody you can depend on, which is exactly the biggest reward. Wow. Well, Norma, unbelievable. And so the final outcome was that you entered into retirement age, and Larry came to you one more time with a major decision, the first one being let's move to California. And you trusted him with that, so of course he trusted signing off all the community property. But then the next big step was why don't we go out and enjoy our lives? And it took a while to get the details together, but you did it, and I don't know how you uh, I don't know how, I would have had to have been hospitalized just to let go of what I had built because you put your heart and soul into it. So you found someone that you could trust to maintain the level of integrity that you set where other people were unethical and doing wrong things. You even had to pay the price for that at one point, one of the low points in that experience. But you found Michelle Morton. It is now Pacific American Securities. And she wrote a beautiful introduction, and what really piqued my interest was she had a great aunt named Emily Waters 
who was one of the first black women to be admitted to Juilliard, which my heart just, you know, oh, wonderful. But then it goes on to say my aunt, Cicely Tyson, was a trailblazer in Hollywood. To that, my reaction was, what? So just the sound of Michelle coming from stock like that, I said, yeah, I think she picked the right person. How how are you feeling? Do you still have that warm feeling of trust in the company's doing well? Well, I just spoke to Michelle Morton two days ago. And, really? And uh, she's doing very, yes, she's doing very well. Uh, she's uh, purchasing another company to merge into her company, and so she's moving forward. I really am very proud of Michelle. She wrote a lovely, lovely introduction for me because we maintained a wonderful relationship, and um, I think very, very highly of her ability. Michelle Morton is going to be a success story. Oh, yeah. I'll have her on the air. Just let me know when. But I would like to end this segment with something that you wrote and it touched me very deeply because even though at the time I was young, I was born in 1967, but I did get to see some of those prejudices Um, I know some women have seen a lot worse than we have but I did get to experience some of those things, in fact not even 15 years ago I interviewed for a position at an architectural firm, and the task was to build a database out of over 20 years of data. There was nothing computerized. It was all from paper. I would be building a super database. And I had to walk away because I felt it in my bones that the owners of this company were not going to have a five-foot-tall woman tell them how things should be done, even as it pertained to the task you assigned to me. So I told the woman that, and she says, to be honest with you, I feel bad even wasting your time with these interviews because you're worth everything you're asking for. They're not going to want to pay it. They're not going to, you know, they're going to do all that. And the culture was very, um, it was so filled with testosterone. It would have been a nightmare. And at least Mm -hmm. I sensed it. I trusted my gut and said, no, I'll find something that's a better fit. But I'm not going to fight this male, female, you know, short, tall thing and, have somebody accuse me once more of being someone that I wasn't simply because I wanted to do a job to the best of my ability and then have someone come to me and say, who do you think you are? It's not that I think I'm anybody better than anybody else, but if you want this really awesome database and you want me to build it, there's some things I'm going to need, like a full-time assistant, two temps. I said, we're out of the gate. That's the first thing I need. Then I'm going to need this. I need all of the jobs, all of the specs so that I can – build a uniform and reliable database and I knew it wouldn't have been successful so I walked away from that offer but um, I wanted to put at the end of the segment the statement in the book that inspired me the most and that is with regard to the last 50, those 50 years of your life, everybody that you grew up with, people that you encountered along your journey, people you inspired along your journey and especially people today who might not be able to relate to these, but just know that it existed and that this woman fought through it. And what you say on page 61 is, For all the women who waited until a card game was finished to sneak away to the toilet. For all the women who never dreamed they could be more than salespeople working from home. For all the women who couldn't own credit cards. And for all the young women now who have never had to deal with those problems. I walked the floor of the exchange for you. So thank you very much, Norma, for 
fighting that fight and leading the way for the rest of us. Thank you, Charlotte, for having me to be able to tell your audience um, my life and my story. And I hope that this will help those that are out there fighting the good fight. I think that you are an inspiration. You are an inspiration. Doing this and bringing this to your your audience. Thank Thank you you. so much for that. That is so heartwarming. I, I so appreciate that. And... I want to ask the audience, please read this book. All that we discussed in this doesn't even scratch the surface of everything she covers in this book, and yet I was able to read this in maybe eight hours. Go to the website, normayeager.com. That is N-O-R-M-A-Y-A-E-G-E-R. Again, Norma, Y-A-E-G-E-R, Yeager, normayeager.com. Check the book out. Order the book. Share it with women in your life. Share it with young college students in your life. Share it with anybody who might have felt if they had just given it one more chance. Maybe this would inspire them to get up and do it anyway, regardless of their age. Because I wanted to share with all of you, and I mentioned this to you on the phone, Norma, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who was four foot eleven, but she was walked to the gate of an orphanage at the age of eighteen, and however she did it, I have no idea. But she put herself in college, and she graduated at the top of her class at Spring Garden College in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. She was the first female electrical engineer in the 1940s, in, actually in the wow. year around 1940. And when she went to apply for a job, she was told that she would not be paid any more than the lowest paid man in the company. And in my eyes, he might have been talking about some guy in the mailroom. So, More further women, down than that. Yeah, or the janitor. These women have really, like the book says, breaking down the wall. And like I said, you obliterated that wall. You reduced it to rubble. There's no way they can another wall like that because I think the rest of us having trampled over the through the doorway that you yourself created have kind of made it impossible. So so that's wonderful. But well, you I know, want to answer. It, I... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I didn't start out to break down the wall. I just did what I felt I wanted to do and what was right for me. And I think that's the issue. When you feel it's good, like you just said, that job was not right for you. It didn't feel right. Don't do it. Do what you feel good about and go ahead and and fight for it. Negotiate your pay. Negotiate your, you know, what you feel is what you need. And not let somebody say, no, you cannot do that. Right. Say, yes, I can. Yes, yes I, I can. Will. Mm-hmm. And don't yes, cave in. Just keep. If it's not working one way, adapt. Try to find a different way. Once you get that, you align your purpose with your desire. It will click. It will fall into place. Things start to come to you. You have to put a lot of effort, but you don't have to struggle. And that's the key, I think, to really gaining traction to get a business or a venture off the ground. Well, Norma, you've made TV appearances. I know throughout your career you wound up giving lectures and became well-respected in that arena, so that led to TV appearances where you were asked to come on the air and give your advice with regard to the stock market. What's next for you? I know you've done a lot of traveling. You've lived your dream of traveling the world. I thought maybe some zip lining across the... Grand Canyon, or perhaps 
getting some dogs and training up for the Iditarod in Alaska. What's Larry's got set up for you? Because I know he's largely responsible for all the adventures that you had the pleasure of experiencing instead of working so hard and enjoying your retirement. What's up next for you? Well, the thing that I need to do now is not only to travel, because I'm never going to stop doing that. I loved it. I did zip lining already. I did not do skydiving. Who knows? That might be out there yet. I've done just about scuba diving, snorkeling, skiing, uh, scaling, um, whatever you can think of. Larry made sure we got involved in. And um, at this particular time, I have to tell you, this is my first book. I never thought I'd write a book, but I certainly wanted to leave my children and grandchildren a legacy. And that was the reason for writing the book. I really felt that this would help them as well as, um, you know, other women out there that are struggling. And I really feel that for me, living every day is what's important, whatever comes my way. I am now playing golf as one of my pastimes. I am now playing um, Marjan and um, Bridge. And so these are the things that are a little bit more at home. But yes. I'm sure that Larry's finding a trip out there we haven't been to. Um, so <laughs> He's looking <laughs> it right now. the world. <laughs> yeah, so it's been fun, and I have to That's... continue making my life fun. Well, you certainly earned it, and as far as promoting the book, I will do everything in my power to promote this book because I'm like you. Any success I have, I'm taking everybody with me. And That's so I'll, I'll be sending you messages that, oh, I think I got it into this bookstore. But I'll, I'll save that for a surprise. I have some ideas, but I won't do anything without your permission, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your journey, your experiences, and your heart with us and giving such an inspirational voice to women of the future. I think we're at a curve in the culture. I, I think we're primed for a female president. I think it's going to happen. Do you feel good about that? I would love it. I think that we are primed for a woman, and not only that, but a woman capable of doing the job of being president. I feel very good about it. it eight years ago, I don't think I was there yet, but today I'm there. I am comfortable with the idea of a woman president. I think that the candidate would do an excellent job, so I'll be rooting for her. So, Well, thank you once again. And should you write any more books or have any of the projects you would like to discuss, do not hesitate to let me know about it, okay? Well, thank you. And if you need anything from me, please feel free to call. I have life experience behind me, so I could help out with uh, some of your decisions. This is true. I will certainly keep that in mind. Thank you once again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everybody, that's our show for today. Um, I trust that you enjoyed it and that you did take some notes, you know, some of these key components to success and balance between home and career because it's something women simply have to do. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.